This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Hey there! I wanted to catch you at the top of the episode to let you know that my Patreon page is changing its name and URL. Rather than the page saying Stephen Trigar and the URL ending with Stephen J. Trigar, the page is fully transitioning over to The Composer Chronicles. All members of the Patreon page will continue to enjoy all the same benefits as before, including early access to ad-free versions of every episode, access to the Patreon podcast unscripted, and all other benefits one can find at higher levels. So, if you are listening to this episode and you hear me reference patreon.com slash Trigar, that is no longer a valid URL, as I have changed it over to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you on my Patreon page. Today's episode is part two of a two-part episode sharing the decline and revitalization of Russian composer Sergei Rachmaninoff's career. Today's episode picks back up after Rachmaninoff's link into depression due to the travesty that was the premiere of his symphony number no. one. Thanks to the help of Dr. Nikolai Dahl and the composition and successful premiere of his piano concerto number no. two, he managed to help himself out of that depression. If you haven't already listened to episode 18a, feel free to listen to that one first prior to listening to this one. Certain events happening in today's episode may make a little bit more sense by listening to episode 18a, but it's certainly not necessary if you would rather just start listening to today's episode. Before I let you begin today's episode, I have some exciting news. A few weeks ago, I published a third volume in my ebook anthology, Tales of Love, Lost Magic, and Reality, setting the stage for opera and ballet. Volume 3 is titled The Language of Flowers and it contains detailed synopses, character lists, musical highlights, and personal experiences with the ballets of Claude Debussy, Paul Ducat, and Maurice Ravel. As of late, this volume is only available on lulu.com, but it will be shortly making its way around to various other ebook sellers, such as Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, Apple Books slash iBookstore, and Kobo. To stay updated with when these books will be available on these platforms, Follow Alexandrian Media on both Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit alexandrianmedia.org to check out the status of this volume as well. There is some more exciting news about this book anthology that will be coming out very soon. I hope to share the information with you in the upcoming weeks, but for now, let's continue our story of Rachmaninoff's tumultuous early career. Silence For the audience, it was common practice to settle down and cease conversation with those around them just moments before a piece was about to begin. For Rachmaninoff, it was the moment of truth. With months of hypnotherapy and psychotherapy behind him, this moment would determine whether or not he was destined for greatness or for several more months of therapy. After his sessions with Dr. Dahl ended, he was ready to face the world again and he spent tireless months crafting and perfecting his next composition, his piano concerto number two. Tonight, he only had movements two and three of this concerto to present to the audience in Moscow. If all went well, he would surely complete the first movement. As a pianist, Rachmaninoff was this evening's soloist. He was in the driver's seat for this performance. 
He was in charge of his triumphant return to composition after the catastrophe that was his Symphony No. 1, instigated by the poor efforts of Alexander Glazunov. There was just one problem. Rachmaninoff was sick, and a little hungover. From Alexandrian Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of the world's greatest composers and their works. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 18b, Rachmaninoff Reborn. While Rachmaninoff suffered from writer's block after the failed premiere of his Symphony No. 1, he couldn't afford not to work. To compensate for the lack of compositions, he began to teach piano lessons again, and fortune found him when he was offered the position of assistant conductor for the Moscow Private Opera Company's 1897-1898 season. He happily accepted the offer, as he was nearly penniless, and his first opera as a conductor aside from his own opera Aleko performed in Kiev in October of 1893, was Camille Saint-Saëns' Samson et Dalila. Before getting to conduct this opera, Rachmaninoff had taken up the baton for the company's production of A Life for the Tsar by Mikhail Glinka. This was to be his debut as the secondary conductor for the company. Whether it was out of jealousy or a sense of superiority, the company's primary conductor Michel Esposito, only allowed the eager Rachmaninoff one rehearsal. Confident he was familiar enough with the score, he accepted Esposito's terms. Rehearsal began the morning of the performance, and the orchestra played brilliantly. But once the singers entered, the wheels fell off that proverbial cart. Rachmaninoff desperately tried to fix the matter, but nothing was going right. All the while, Esposito stood off to the side, chuckling at Rachmaninoff's predicament and doing nothing to aid his new colleague. Frustrated, Rachmaninoff dropped out of the performance and allowed Esposito to conduct it that night. The young composer stayed in the audience to watch Esposito conduct A Life for the Tsar, hoping that he would understand what it was that caused the singer so much difficulty. Mere minutes into the opera, Rachmaninoff realized he never cued the singers. The company's founder, Sava Mamantov, maintained his confidence in Rachmaninoff and allowed him to pick another opera to conduct. Satisfied with Samson Adelila, he was given ample rehearsal time to perfect it. Rachmaninoff became fascinated by the operatic genre the longer he stayed with Mamantov's opera company. 
He studied every score he could, and even was approached by Modest Tchaikovsky, Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky's younger brother, to set an opera based on Shakespeare's Richard II. Plans for this opera remained unfulfilled, since around the time Modest Tchaikovsky suggested the opera, Rachmaninoff's duties with the opera company became more demanding. When things had settled down again, Modest Tchaikovsky was no longer interested in Richard II. However, he was invigorated by the idea of an opera based on Dante's Inferno, specifically Francesca da Rimini. Rachmaninoff found this idea to be quite exhilarating, and immediately responded with great enthusiasm accepting the project. Setting the opera would, of course, be set aside for a while. As mentioned in last week's episode, he also took up performing as a piano soloist in many concerts to help his financial status. It was also during this time that Rachmaninoff became engaged to Natalia Satina, who was his first cousin. Because they were first cousins, their marriage was forbidden by law, and of course, both of their families highly disapproved of their relationship. After their marriage, Natalia began to notice that her new husband was just scraping by financially, and urged him to begin composing again. Slightly hurt by his wife's accusations of no longer being a composer, he retaliated by writing her a song, but very little else came out of that period. By 1899, Rachmaninoff's depression worsened. Projects that he proposed to complete for various organizations were left unfulfilled, and even another visit by Leo Tolstoy, an event arranged by his aunt in hopes that it would revive his spirits, was unsuccessful. Even the growing popularity of his prelude in C-sharp minor failed to cheer him up, although I wouldn't blame him for being upset about it given his empty pockets as no copyright had been taken out for the prelude in England and the United States, publishers had a field day with the work and published as many editions of it as they could. Despite its popularity, Rachmaninoff made no money due to this loophole in copyright laws. By 1900, composing was impossible for the composer, despite several attempts. His family, hating to see him like this, were desperate to help. At the suggestion of his aunt, Rachmaninoff began to see Dr. Nikolai Dahl, a physician that specialized in hypnotherapy and a great friend of the Rachmaninoff family. Coincidentally, he was also an amateur musician. Without hesitation, Rachmaninoff agreed to see Dr. Dahl, and their sessions began. Every day, from January through April of that year, Rachmaninoff underwent hypnotherapy and psychotherapy sessions. Money was of no issue which, for the first time in a while, was a relief to the ailing Rachmaninoff. Money was of no issue, which, for the first time in a while, was a relief to the ailing Rachmaninoff. Dahl frequently treated his patients without charge. At first, they focused on his sleeping patterns, mood, and appetite, but eventually the sessions began to focus on his desire to compose. As Dahl was quite an intelligent man and enthusiastic musician, he was able to speak on a level with Rachmaninoff that would produce beneficial effects during this treatment. Surely enough, by the time his sessions ended in April, Rachmaninoff's desire to compose again was relit. Although it wasn't a full fire, Rachmaninoff was ecstatic to have new musical ideas again, and he successfully began to compose. Even better, Dahl had not only aimed to help Rachmaninoff regain his desire to compose again, but to help him specifically 
with the composition of the piano concerto that he had promised London a year ago. With his head full of new ideas, Rachmaninoff diligently worked on the concerto. To set off his rediscovered love for composing, Rachmaninoff traveled with Fyodor Chalapian, a Russian-based who became dear friends while working at Mamontov's Russian opera company, to Crimea, where he occupied a small house in Yalta on Prince Lievin's estate. Here, his progress with the piano concerto, as well as other projects, would be favorable. We'll pick back up after the break. without music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiance. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash the Composer Chronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash The Composer Chronicles and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today. By mid-July of 1900, Rachmaninoff was anxious to get home. Although he was grateful to have his professional life back, his summer in Yalta was too peaceful and he longed for a social life. Furthermore, the heat of the summer was becoming unbearable, and with all these new musical ideas floating around in his head, he couldn't afford to be stifled. It was certainly a productive summer. Of course, he had begun composing his piano concerto number no. 2, as well as a piece for a cappella chorus titled Pantelli the Healer on a text by Alexei Tolstoy, fragments of his opera Francesco de Romini, 
and sketches of what would eventually become his second suite for two pianos. By the end of that summer, the second and third movements of the concerto were complete, and many were eager to hear it. This is where the concert that I mentioned at the top of the episode comes in. On December 2nd in Moscow, at a concert organized by Princess Lievin and Vivara Satina for the Ladies' Charity Prison Committee, Rachmaninoff performed the two completed movements of his new piano concerto. The concert had been highly anticipated, which would only cause Rachmaninoff to be a bit more anxious. On the morning of his appearance, Rachmaninoff caught a cold. Although he would have preferred to cancel the performance, he could not disappoint all those who had been there to support him during his years of depression. He had finally written something and was willing to share it with the world once again. So he swallowed whatever remedies were put in front of him, including multiple glasses of hot wine with cinnamon and other spices mixed in. He drank so much of this wine that he passed out and nearly missed the performance. But he made it and performed the completed two-thirds of his new work with pride. The performance was breathtaking. All of his family, friends, and devoted supporters could finally take a breath. Even Rachmaninoff could finally revel in his accomplishments. The concert was so successful that the work on the first movement began almost immediately. The full concerto was completed by April 1st of the following year. With it now complete, Rachmaninoff premiered the work on November 9th with his cousin Alexander Silotti conducting the Moscow Philharmonic Society. The piece was an undeniable success. Rachmaninoff's career as a composer was refreshed, and soon the premiere of his Symphony No. 1 was a blip of the past. The concerto wasn't just a success for Rachmaninoff. As a gesture of appreciation for everything he did, Rachmaninoff dedicated the concerto to Dr. Dahl, for whom this concerto would not exist without. During multiple occasions, Dr. Dahl would be publicly recognized as the work's dedicatee. At a concert in 1926 of the piece, Dr. Dahl was playing viola in the orchestra of the American University of Bayreuth in Lebanon. Upon the piece's completion, the audience, previously informed of the dedication, honored Dr. Dahl with thunderous applause. The audience refused to quiet down until Dahl rose from his seat and took a well-deserved bow. This episode of the Compulsion Chronicles was written, researched, and produced by me, Stephen Trigar. Theme music was written by Daryl Banner. Other music and resources used for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on alexandriamedia.org. The Composure Chronicles is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cron Podcast. That's C-H-R-O-N Podcast. So be sure to go and follow the show and share it with your friends and family. Also, there is a membership to the show through Patreon. For as little as $1.50 a month, you will get ad-free episodes, access to the member-only podcast Unscripted, and other resources for the show. Click on the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash to become a member today. By becoming a member, you're directly supporting me, and it allows me to give you more content with even greater quality. If you like the show and want to rate and review it, the best place to do that is still on Apple Podcasts. 
Next week is another episode of Composers of Our Modern World. We will be featuring the composer Daryl Banner, who, as you may know, is the composer of the Composer Chronicles' theme music. So you will surely not want to miss that episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.